part of a series entitled Getting a Grip on Life. The reason I'm doing this is because I find in all the years that I've been counseling, talking with people, so many young people have no idea where it is they're going, what it is they're going to do with their life. And so, lo and behold, some of the best years of their life either get wasted, thrown away, or they make really difficult and foolish choices. They make choices that they end up paying for for years and years and years of their life. So last week, I gave you five simple things. We first have to understand that life is short. Life is very, 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 very short. You may think you're young, and you are in most people's eyes, but you have to understand that in just literally the snap of a finger, and that's what it'll feel like to you, you're going to be in your 30s. In another snap of a finger, you're going to be in your middle 40s. In another, you're going to be 55 or 60, and your life is going to begin winding down. And you know what's ironic is that you're simply going to look back at your life. I'm speaking from experience. I had my 44th birthday this August. And I look back on my life, and the last 24 years have just flown by. It has seemed to me that I've always been married. I hardly remember what it was like when I was single. It has seemed to me that I'll always be a father, and probably before I'm 50, I'll be a grandfather. Life just flies by, and it's very critical. The Bible tells us, in fact, that our life is like the flower, the grass of the field. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. If you begin looking out at the trees, you see that the leaves are beginning to turn color. You see that the flowers soon, the first frost is going to come, and they're gone. And the Bible tells us, look at the flower, look at the grass, and get a grasp on your life. That's what your life is like. Second thing I told you is you've got to figure out what you want the end result of your life to be. It's so important that you ask yourself now, what do I want my life to be about? What do I want to look back and have to show for my life and have to say about my life? What is it that really matters? When we're young, for whatever reason, we tend not to stop and think about the real important things in our life. We tend to just live for today. We burn out the candle, then the next day we light it again, we burn it at both ends, and it continues and it continues and it continues. And to be quite frank with you, many, much of the time, I am left picking up the pieces of people's lives. I don't mind, I want you to know that, I got into this business to help people, but there are two ways to help people. One is to help them recover from the mistakes of life. To help them understand that with God, there's always another chance. And that's always important. You need to remember that about God. There's always another chance with God. Whether it's your 100, your 200, your 300, your 500. But there's another way to help people as well. And that's to help them think through life before they make a lot of costly mistakes. That's to help individuals understand how to make good choices first. Three you got to take responsibility for your life. You're in charge. Be assertive and make things happen in your life. I gave you basically four areas. That would be your health, your finances, your relationships, and the personal things in your life, habits that you want to develop. It's so important, young person, that you understand that your future has not been dictated to you by your parents. The negative things in your life that happen, while they may be, an obstacle to overcome, they are not a prophecy dictating your future. And it's so important 
that you determine, I am not going to be a victim in my life, but I'm going to be a victor in my life. Fourth thing, I told you, he's got to simplify, simplify, simplify. In other words, reduce your life down to that which really matters and get rid of everything else. You don't have time nor money for the peripheral things in life <clears throat> that do not matter. Jesus said, what would it profit a man or woman if they gained the whole world, gained all the possessions in the world, but lost the value of their life towards God? A young rich man came to Jesus one time and he said, Jesus, what good thing must I do to have life, real life? And Jesus said, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. <clears throat> the rich man went away sorrowing with great sadness in his heart. And Jesus, with compassion, not contempt, said to his disciples, very difficult for a rich man to enter into real life. It's very difficult. And then Jesus went on to say that a man's life does not consist of that which he possesses. But it's so easy, is it not, in this society that you and I live in every day to have pressed upon us all the time, if we only had this, if I only could wear that, if I only owned that. And it's a never-ending cycle, young person, that I want to tell you, it is possible. It is possible to live in this country. It is possible to grow up get married, have children, or stay single, whatever God leads in your life, and not get caught up in the whirlwind of American materialism. It will sap you of that which is really important. And number five, you've got to avoid bad choices. It's critical that you avoid making foolish choices. Let me give you just a little bit helpful advice when it comes to bad choices. You may be confronted with the decision and you're not quite sure what to do. Let me just advise you, before you make the decision, when you know in your heart, I'm not really sure if this is the right one or not, or if there's any, any iota of a doubt at all, give someone wiser a call. And ask for advice. You know, when I was thinking only five months ago about my first house, I've never owned one before, I waited these years. I just kept saving, putting some money away, putting some money away. wanted to do it at the right time in my life. I never wanted a home to entangle my wife or I. I never wanted a home to entangle our lives. And so I wanted to buy the right kind of home. I wanted to buy one that was basically fairly maintenance-free. So God led me to buy this twin home, which is half a house. It's a duplex. Some of you may know that more is a duplex. And as I began looking, I had this plan. I told Kathy, you know, Kathy, I always thought that when we got older, as our two older children, my son and daughter were two of the members of the band up here tonight. So I am an older gentleman. Eventually, they're going to be gone from home, and then there's just going to be Kathy and I, Jessica and Micah, and eventually they're going to be gone, and, and in a few years, it'll just be us. I didn't want to have a massive yard to take care of. I didn't want to have lots of responsibilities, because to be honest... I don't mind doing house things. I don't mind doing yard things. In fact, I used to be a carpenter. I used to hang drywall. I used to do landscaping. I used to work for a flower business and plant people's shrubs. I've never done it for myself. You know why? Because there's only two things in the world that matter to me. Only two. And they're supremely important. God and people. I do not have time to be painting a house, remodeling a kitchen, putting up new wallpaper. Oh, let's see. I think I'll do this to the yard. I think I'll build a bigger, a better deck. I don't have time, nor will I take time, to do the things that I personally feel are non-essential. 
And so I waited for the right time in my life to either get a town home or a twin home, something we can move in, move in ready. The blinds were on the, on the windows already. The appliances were already there. I could afford it. It wasn't super extravagant. And I'm in, and we hit the ground running, and I haven't stopped since. That was all planned. It's very important. As I was making this choice before I made it, I got the advice of ten men that I respect. All the other pastors that I pastor with at Evergreen and The Rock. I talked to two financial advisors. I asked them, what would be the best to do? Would it be best to put 20% down on the house so that I avoid the $83 a month they charge you in this perverted system of America that if you don't put 20% down, the bank wants to make sure they get their money so they make you pay for their mortgage insurance so that if you default on the loan, they get their money. Or would it be better to leave the money in a 401k plan? So I asked, in fact, one of the young men here who's in financial advising, his name's Chris Pancras. He told me, Mark, he said, you could take $10,000 out of your 403b, but the $10,000 you take, if you take it now, you will lose in 20 years $160,000. That's what it will be worth. Now, I can promise you, Mark, that your house is not going to gain you that much. So I'd put down the bare minimum that you need in order to be able to make the payment. That's exactly what I did. But I checked it with ten other individuals. You see, even a wise person knows that they don't know everything. And you need wisdom and you need advice in order to make good decisions. Now, what I want to get into tonight is how to get you where you want to go. How do you get where you want to go? Okay? I want to read something to you. I have a, a book that... Uh, it was given to me, it's actually just a leather empty book. It was given to me for a Christmas present. And I decided, you know, over the years it would be a good idea to write down things that God speaks to me about. Most of them, if not all of them, relate to my life personally and the things that God's trying to drive home to me. So one day I wrote this. Mark, most people live their lives like a ship adrift at sea. They just allow life to take them wherever it wills, whether on the rocks of destruction or the aimless pursuit of nothing, all the while hoping that one day they'll land on the shores of paradise. Now think about that for a moment. This is the way most people, your age and even older, live their life. Most people simply, all they're excited about doing is getting in the sailboat of life and just going wherever the winds and the waves take them. Let me give you an example. There's a whole lot of people that want to be millionaires in the United States. Okay? A whole lot. I mean, it's a craze. Who wants to be a millionaire? It's one of the most watched shows. Survivor, one of the most all-time watched shows. Now, sure, it, maybe it had some interesting television. Maybe it had the voyeurism that we so much enjoy. But the bottom line is someone was going to be a millionaire. People are playing the lottery. Never in the history of any civilized nation has there been more people gambling, because that's what the lottery is, than at this time in history. And people think, oh, it's just a buck, it's just a buck, it's just a buck. You know what? The buck is not what bothers me at all. The buck doesn't bother me at all. It's the mentality that you can get something for nothing. That you can be a winner. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning than winning something from the lottery. Yet, let me tell you a secret. When I'm 62, I'm going to be a millionaire. And I could tell every one of you in this room how by the time you, because most of you are 20, by the time you're 55 years old, 
Every one of you in this room could have a million dollars. You know how? By wise planning, by delayed gratification, by simply setting aside a portion of what you make every single month for the rest of your life. It's called investing. I learned something some time ago. It was probably one of the biggest lies that was told to all of us when we were growing up. And it was that little saying, usually heard from father, that was, money doesn't grow on trees. But it does. It absolutely does. You take $100, you start with 50 in your 20s. And when you're able to put $100, put $100, you put it in a mutual fund, you put it in a mutual fund, you put it in a mutual fund, and there's things called dividends, and there's things called compound interest. And you stay on the right side of debt instead of the wrong side of debt. And let me tell you something, young person, you don't have to live like the people out there are living, scattering and running for little seeds dropped on the ground. You can get where you need to get financially. Now, when I say I'm going to be a millionaire, I mean I'm just going to barely be there, and it's basically for my retirement, except I don't plan on retiring. I really don't. I did it for the simple fact that someday, if something were to happen to me and I was severely disabled, I would not have to be dependent upon my own children. And so I'm part of a plan where you put a dollar in and they put a dollar in. So I try to put as much as I can away on that each month. It's a small amount. It's not super huge. But over a long enough time, it builds and builds and builds. That's the point. I'm not rich. I'm not even close to being rich. But I live below that which I'm given. So, I want to talk with you tonight about how to get where you want to go in your life. Because I know many of you in this room, you want change in your life. We're going to talk about how to bring change. The first thing, there's just three things, alright? The first thing is focus Focus, focus. You must, you must focus yourself on that which you are setting out to achieve. Now, of course, last week we talked about you got to figure out what you're going to achieve. And I'll touch on that in just a moment. Focus is emphasis. To concentrate attention or effort on. When my children were in karate, all of my children have their second degree black belts in karate except my youngest. And he's just about got his first degree. One of the things they teach you in karate is something called focus and is maximum, maximum physical and mental effort at the point of impact. Maximum. You focus all your effort, mental and physical, on that which you are striking. In your life, if you want something in life, first you have to determine if it's the right thing to want. It would take me a long time to develop that. The best way that you can determine that is do what I did as a young person. I was 19 years old. And I decided I needed to find out not what people said about life, but what God has to say about life. And so I did what anyone else in this room can do. I bought a Bible and I began to read it every single day. I have not missed a day that I know of in 25 years. That was 25 years ago. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I reread it, and I underlined, and I memorized. And I'll tell you something. By most people's standards, as to what really is important and really is valuable, I have accomplished those things. I have succeeded in the things that matter most. But I didn't do it because I'm smart. I didn't do it because I'm so great. I did it because I had the humility to recognize, God, you're bigger than I am. You have given us your word. You have given us your book. And I humbly submit myself to it. Impress it on my heart. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, 
chapter 2 and 3. That if you search for wisdom and you search for it like hidden treasure and you long for it and you knock daily at my gates, then you will be given wisdom and insight and the right decision every time. The Bible goes on to say that God holds victory in store for the upright. You do not have to have a loser life. You do not have to have a life that is filled with the kind of pain and grief that you see in so many of your peers. That does not mean that you won't have adversity. You will. For Jesus promised us that through many tribulations we would enter the kingdom of heaven. I've had my share of difficulties and most of them were not self-inflicted. But there were some that were self-inflicted because I'm still an ignorant human being. And many times in my life I have gone this direction or that direction but God through his word has brought me back, brought me back and brought me back. So first of all you've got to decide what you're going to focus on, that which is really important. But after you've decided that, you must focus that. And focus all begins with vision. I want to ask you this question. What do you envision your life to be? Genuinely and honestly, what do you envision your life to be? Did you know the Bible says, where there's no vision, the people run wild. They're unrestrained. Have you ever felt like your life's just helter-skelter? It's just here, it's just there. Relationships are here, there. Your money's here, there. Your time's here, there. Your thoughts are here, there. The reason it's that way is because you have not yet decided and discovered what it is that you're called to be. And what it is that you really feel I was born for. When I was 19 years old, just before I turned my life to Christ, I had one... One great passion. And it was to be a musician like Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen. It was to be a traveling singing prophet. And so I sang and sang and sang and I practiced my guitar and practiced my guitar although I never got super good at the guitar. So I tried to team up with others. But you know, God had other plans in my life and I'm so glad he did because it would have been such an empty, empty, empty life had I taken that course. God, he sort of it was kind of like Boy Interrupted. You know, the movie Girl Interrupted. My life's kind of like Boy Interrupted. And God just kind of, boom! I want to interrupt your life, Mark. I have something I want to do with your life. <clears throat> and up to that point, I was not a very focused person. But a little bit like the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, God just kind of knocked me on my behind. And God started working circumstantially in my life. Some very scary things started happening in my life. And basically what they did, it wasn't so much... The stories about what they were isn't important as what they were about. God was just trying to teach me, Mark, your life's very small. At any time, it could be over. It's time for you to get right with me. That's what it was all about. 19 years of age, I I got on my knees and got my, my heart broken. And I said, God, I'm yours. You bought me. You made me. And I realize finally that I will not find fulfillment outside the will of God. Did you know you will never, ever find fulfillment for your life outside of the will of God? Never. You see, young person, God loves you. God made you. God cares about your life. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you in some significant and eternal endeavor in your life. Have you ever asked yourself this question? <clears throat> when my life's all said and done, will it have mattered beyond the grave? Will it have mattered in eternity? Because if it doesn't, what's the point? Not too long ago, for some of you reading the one-year Bible with us, 
We read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, the beginning of the book, Solomon says, vanity, vanities, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or what does a man gain? Or what does a woman gain in all of his useless toil under the sun? The sun rises, the sun sets. People live and people die. When it's all said and done, what do we gain? Listen, the book of Ecclesiastes was written for you to understand what life is like without God in the picture of your life. And without God in the picture of your life, life is genuinely meaningless. It's like a rat in a cage. Some people are just bigger rats. They have a little more expensive food to eat in their rat cage. Their rat cage might be gold-plated. Yours is just tin. But the bottom line is that outside the will of God, you're just going to die a rat. But when you come to Christ, when you put your life under God's direction, you not only are no longer a rat, you become a human, you're out of the cage, and now God has something significant and marvelous for you to do with your life that goes on after you die because you go on after you die. And that's what I decided to give my life to. Not everyone would give their life to this, um, and that's fine. God has different things for each person. But I knew at 19 years old, God wanted me to serve him the rest of my life by serving other people. Now, I was not a very smart person. I was not a very intelligent person. I was not a very disciplined person. But I was hungry. And I now knew what God wanted in my life. And I brought everything to focus in my life to becoming a pastor. It took 11 years. 11 years. I moved to the place that I felt God wanted me to be. I left my family and went where I thought God wanted me to be, where I could get trained. And lo and behold, God started training me. And there were trial after trial after trial. I used to do concerts like this where we'd invite people, fill an auditorium, said we'd just sing. And right in the middle of our concerts, speakers would blow, equipment would quit working, and we'd all look like idiots. These guys didn't tonight. They persevered. It was tough because our equipment wouldn't even limp along. It was broken. We'd have to stop in the middle of the whole thing and just kind of go, gee, we're sorry. And we'd put up all these posters and buy these people. And I felt about this high. And God humbled me over and over and over and over and over again. I never lost sight of what God's vision was and what my vision was in my life and where I was going. And it helped me live a restrained life. I had a lot of bad habits in my life. A lot of bad habits that I knew needed to be overcome. I can't tell you how many hours I have spent on my face in tears begging God to change my life. I wanted it and I still want it more than you could possibly imagine. It's a regular habit of my life, even this day, to go out to a place that I have to pray for an hour. And I set my timer and I keep walking and asking God, God, work in my life. And I share with God the things I'm struggling with. And allow Him to imprint Himself on my heart. You've got to keep the big picture in mind and make decisions based on the big picture. Otherwise, you get so microscopic in your life that it'll cause you to veer off your vision. <clears throat> I remember one particular occasion where for about the first seven years that my wife and I were married, I was, not a, I was not a pastor. I was striving to that end. 
And we were going through significant financial difficulties in order to stay in Ames, Iowa, where I was at. And I was working two jobs, and we were just barely getting by. The first three years I was married, we grossed $5,000 a year. 1979, 1980, 1981. I didn't have insurance with the first three children of any kind. I didn't have any. We lived in a little trailer I paid $73 a month lot rent for. That's how we survived. I drove a $200 car, and I kept myself there so God could build me. Of course, my wife cooperated. She wanted to serve Christ as well. And then, lo and behold, this guy, I used to sell auto parts, and one of the big companies, one of the small parts that I sold, the company that made all those parts, offered me a job for a significant amount of money, almost four to five times what I was making then, and that was about ten or $13,000 right around then. And they said, but the catch is you'll have to travel. you have to be gone three or four nights a week. And I remember going and talking to my wife about it and praying about it. You know what I had to say? I had to say no. You know why I said no? Because it did not fit in my prime objective. It would take me out of the school of life, the body of Christ, where God was building my life. And so I continued living at that standard of living for several more years. You have to really want your vision. You must possess real desire and determination. See, young person, you can get where you want to go when you discover what that is, but you have to want it. You have to want it. We'll get into some other things in just a moment. Second thing you've got to do is plan. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to advantage. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Proverbs 3.21, My child, don't lose sight of good planning and insight. Hang on to them, for they will fill your life and bring you honor and respect. Proverbs 24.3, Any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. I find this particular verse so interesting. I like mountain biking. I don't get a chance to do it very much, but let me tell a story about mountain biking. There was a couple of guys, one of them in particular, his name was Gary Fisher. And he wanted to learn how to bike, make a bike that would go over the rocks and go over the, you know, the roads and go over the grass and all the little hills and all that kind of stuff. Remember when you were a little kid? And, well, some of you, I shouldn't say that because you had a mountain bike since you were a little kid. But I did not. And so you'd be riding your bike through the, through the field or through the, the, you know, this place or that place. And you'd be struggling and it just, you had to get on pavement in order to make it go right. When I was a kid, there was one bike. If you had this bike... You were cool. It's called a Schwinn. If you had a Schwinn, you had the world by the tail. Okay? Schwinn was the single biggest bike maker in the world. Certainly in the United States. Something happened to this company. You know what happened? They were stupid. What happened was Gary Fisher and some others, they started working on a bike. Schwinn just insisted that all of us break our back and bend over those ugly handlebars we call the 10-speed and keep riding them. Now, I don't know about you, but after I hit 17, I got sick of riding them. I was tired of bending my back all the time. They weren't much fun, and they were very frail. So these guys, they designed their own mountain bike. Specialized became the first company, the first, to mass produce them. Trek, of course, is the number one seller, which is manufactured in Wisconsin. You know what happened to Schwinn four or five years ago? They filed for bankruptcy. Do you know why? Well, because somebody wasn't reading their Bible. You see, 
It says right here, you profit wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. What are the facts? Americans like to ride a bike, but they don't like the bike we're making. Let me tell you something about church, why it's so important. Americans are interested in God. I know that. Survey after survey says one out of every four people you invite to church will come no matter what the church is. Imagine if they had a church like The Rock to come to. So I got together with a couple friends and I said, "Let's, you know what, let's change the package. The package is pathetic. It's out of date. People hate it. It's boring. It's irrelevant. Who listens to pipe organ music? You know what happened a few days ago? A few days ago in the U.S. You can clap. That's okay. A few days ago in the USA Today, the life section, front page, where is our religious music gone? It was all about pipe organists and the shortage of pipe organists. Well, who cares? Who cares? They were acting like it all really mattered to us. And these churches are spending, literally, there's a church in the city that spent $1 million on an organ. We started The Rock and financed it for two years for less than half of that, the price of one organ. And we started with about 90 people, and now, tonight, I would say there's probably 400, 420 people here tonight. Someday there'll be a thousand. Why? Because we sought God, and we used common sense and the wisdom He gave us, and God said, Hey, Mark, I'm working in people's hearts. They're still hungry today, but you've got to get rid of the old stuff, and you've got to bring in something new, something that's relevant to where people are living today. And you got to share things in a way that they understand because my word always makes sense, Mark. But you got to be my mouthpiece and represent it in a way that makes sense to people. We've been doing that at Evergreen and the Rock for 14 years. Well, actually, it's been 12. I've been, I've been preparing and pastoring for 14 years, but it's been 12 and a half years. We started years ago with 100 people. Today, they're almost 3,000. You know, you may think that's not much, but you know what the average size of churches in America? 87 people. So, what I'm telling you here tonight is you've got to make plans, all right? You've got to plan. What is your plan? When God says He gives you insight, what that means is the power or the act of seeing into a situation, the act or result of apprehending the inner nature of things and seeing them intuitively. It's being able to see you need insight into life. When you have insight into life, then you can begin to grasp that which is really important. You make your plan. Let me share with you some simple plans that I've made that anyone here can make. And I've sought to apply it to my life. <clears throat> when I was a young Christian, I went through a very difficult period of my life. Some might call it depression. Some might call it deep discouragement. Some might call it a midlife crisis. I don't know what you want to call it. All I know is it was really, really hard. I was really discouraged. There were some things in my life didn't seem to be changing. I got rebuked pretty, pretty heavy for it. And I, and I just became very discouraged. 
I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to change. So I went to God and, and I just admitted, Lord, I'm really discouraged. And, and I walked around really discouraged. You haven't seen me discouraged, but let me tell you, I was really discouraged. I was married at the time, had two children, and I really didn't know what was going to become of my life. It seemed like the thing that God had called me to do and wanted me to do and the vision I had for my life just dissolved. It was just gone. It's not going to happen. It was the first time in my life that I ever for a while thought that. All I had was my hope. All I had was a little, little, little tiny shred of faith. I would say it was smaller than a mustard seed. And I remember going to God in tears saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change. If I don't change, obviously in these areas of my life, I realize I cannot be your spokesman. I cannot be a pastor. I happened to open my Bible that day to Romans chapter 12, and I read this verse. Mark, do not be conformed anymore to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, for those of you who don't know or didn't grow up in the background I grew up in, let me explain it to you. The word conform literally means don't let the world squeeze you into its mold anymore. And I don't know about you, but that's how I felt sometimes with my temper, with my passion. It was just like it would grab me, slam me up against the wall, a little bit like a heroin addict, and say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to act this certain way, Mark. There's no way, you've got to get mad, you've got to hit something, you've got to kick something, you've got to have sex, you've got to have this, whatever it was. Those were the two things. And they would grab me by the throat. They almost ruined my marriage. My passion, my out-of-control passion, my self-centeredness, and my temper. So if you think, you know, you have your demons, let me tell you, I've had my demons. And they were tough, tough demons. I came to a point in my life... I just began to think, Lord, I don't... I mean, how could you even love me? I'm so despicable. I don't know. Have you ever gone down the road of self-loathing? Anybody ever been down that road? Do you know what I mean by self-loathing? I mean, it's like, you're just a dog. You're just a scum. You're just a loser. You say those kind of things to yourself over and over. You repeat them over and over. You're never going to amount to nothing. Nothing's good going to happen in your life. You just... So much shame. So much guilt. It's just there on your life, just burying you six feet under. You're kind of a walking zombie. No one knows it. You can smile, you can laugh, but inside, there's deep pain. That's what my life was like at this point. I hardly, if, if you could have seen my spiritual head, it was hung all the time. I only lifted this one up so no one would ask me questions because I just didn't want to answer them. Finally, I decided, God, the word transform, let me finish this, transform by the ruining of your mind means metamorphosis. It's what happens to a caterpillar when they go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly, they're transformed. They're metamorphosized. And that's what God wants to do to your life. So I said, God, I'll tell you what. I have no idea how to change, but I'll give you my mind. I'll give you my mind. Now, when I set my mind to something and when I believe God wants to do something in my life, it, uh, it doesn't matter what it costs me. It could cost me everything. I'm going to do it. I was having trouble with the Bible a little bit at this point in my life. My mind was so clouded. So I went and bought seven tapes on the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the grace of God because I didn't believe I deserved any of those things. And I knew that I was not going to change unless I understood those areas of my life. I got them from a trusted friend who loved God, had a powerful life. I didn't tell anybody this. I didn't even tell my wife. I took a drill that I'd received for Christmas. I didn't have any money. I traded in for the money and I bought a Walkman. The Walkmans had just come out. And I listened to one of those tapes. My plan was to listen to one tape every day for one year, solid, and not miss a day. 
I averaged, I kept track of this, I averaged 18 hours a week on those tapes. When I drove on my sales route, when I was at night working at the video arcades, I listened to the tapes. I listened to the tapes. And I just flooded my mind more with what God thought than what Mark thought. What God thought than what Mark thought. And lo and behold, that end of the year, something had radically changed in my life. Those very truths have been the bedrock foundation of Evergreen and the Rock. That was my plan. I stuck with it. I could give you a number of others, whether it's exercise, whether it's money. I worked for 20 years, 20 years to get myself, my family, financially, where I am today. Just kept working, just kept working, socking a little bit aside, putting a little bit aside. Sometimes it'd be two steps back and a half a step forward. I'd just get something put aside, and then it was somebody would need a root canal, somebody would need a crown. Oh, the car would need this. And so you did, I didn't get discouraged. I just kept working, working, working. My goal was to get to a point, and I have other goals, but one was to become my own credit card, so I'd never need a credit card. And so I just kept working at it and working at it. When it came to my, my health, for example, nine years ago, I weighed 30 more pounds than I weighed now. And I didn't like it, and I wanted to change. But I knew the only way to do that is to start small. So I started with 50 push-ups a day, 10 at a time, during five different times during the day. I never even changed clothes. I just popped down and did them. They were hard. When I was in high school, I won all the fitness awards. Now I couldn't win nothing. Every birthday, my birthday was matching my waist size. I did not like that. When I hit 33 and a half, and I was 33 and a half, I said, this has got to stop. So I stepped back and thought, all right, I have to reassess my life, and I have to change a lot of things, and I have to do them consistently, and I have to do them a little bit at a time. I cannot do them all at once. I got on an exercise bike, 10 minutes max, that's what I could do. I thought I was going to die of boredom. And I just pedaled. I didn't know what a target heart rate was. I didn't even get close. I just moved the pedals. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll, I'll try to do 100 sit-ups today. Oh, my gosh. The next day, I thought I was going to die. So I willowered it to 50. And then I did crunchies. Now I do five minutes of crunchies every day. I work out six days a week. My target heart rate's 150. If you're 20, your target heart rate's about 170. Take 225, subtract your age, take it times 85%. That's what you need to hit for 30 minutes to get a cardiovascular benefit. We don't like to hear that in America because what we want to hear is that we can just get on, ladies. Hi, how are you? If you can talk, you're not working out. <laughs> Let me just put it to you like that. Now, now, you are, and you certainly get some benefit. Like if you want to go walk with a friend, as long as you do it for about an hour, you'll get some benefit. You'll burn some calories. But if you want to do more than calories, if you want to benefit your heart and create new capillaries and that kind of stuff, veins that burst out through your body and find new ways to get blood to the heart, you have to get to your target heart rate. I started lifting. It's not easy to do. It took me nine, it's not going to take you this long. It took me nine years to lose 30 pounds. I hit that 150 mark. It just stayed there. I was 170. just stayed there, stayed there. I cut out the chips. I had all these habits like potato chips. I really like potato chips. And I like to read. So my habit was popcorn and potato chips at about 11 o'clock at night. A whole bowl of the popcorn. I really liked pop. I really liked candy. I really liked long johns with maple topping. <laughs> Some of you don't know, know this, but there's a, there's a Khan's Mongolian barbecue on 494. It used to be Shakey's Pizza. 
You, and at Shakey's, you got pizza, chicken, everything. And I'd go into Shakey's, have a little fried chicken, some pizza. My habit would be pushed back from the table and undo my belt because my stomach was stuffed. I'm just being very honest with you, okay? I figured, hey, I paid for the buffet. I should get my money's worth. <laughs> so, gradually I began to change these things. So, you know, Mark, your candy bars got to go, okay? They go. The chips, Mark, they got to go. They good. Now I drink only water. It's all I drink is water. I don't drink milk. I don't drink juice. I drink water. Juice has too many calories for me. I take vitamin C tablets. They don't have any calories. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying you get, become obsessed, Okay. What I am trying to get across to you, I'm not, you don't need to be obsessed. I don't want to, especially, there's this, well, obviously in modern society, we have this extreme called anorexia and bulimia. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is developing a healthy lifestyle. You set small goals, small goals, small goals. My first one was 10 minutes on a bike, didn't worry about my heart rate. Then it was 10 minutes to get to my target heart rate. Then in a month, I went to 15. Then in three weeks after that, I went to 20. And then eventually to 30. Small goals. You've got to have plans. Lastly, let me close with this. You've got to act on your plans. You've got to put them into action. You must work hard at your plan. Be diligent and persevere. Work your plan. Use your head. The Bible says those who till their land will have plenty of bread. Those who follow vain pursuits will come up empty-handed. Proverbs 10, 4 says lazy people are soon poor. Hard workers get rich. And not just working hard, but it's working smart. Don't let this society rob you of all your hard-earned money. If you're a young person here today, listen to me. If you don't want advice in this, by the way, I'd be glad to take your calls. Okay? Don't go out and borrow a bunch of money to get your first car. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because they're just simply screwing you. The minute you drive the car off the lot, it has immediately lost two to $3,000 of its value. Instantaneously. I shared with you a few weeks ago that little example of buying a car, but most of you, I could help you get a car for between $800 and $1,500 that would get you around good enough. You have to be cautious, but I know how to do these things. And I could give you that advice until you save the money. And for $4,000 to $4,500, you can buy, and I'm being real honest with you, a fantastic car that will last you four or five years in very good shape. Use your head. Work your plan. Figure out what your plan is and then put it into action. Maybe you want to get closer to God. Then do the things you need to do to get closer to God. Read the Bible a little bit each day. Go talk to God somewhere where you can be alone and just talk to Him like you talk to me, like you talk to a friend. Get involved with Christians, with people who know God. They'll rub off on you. Their strength in numbers. You want to take a positive direction in your life. Maybe you step back and go, you know what? If I evaluate my life, my friends are dragging me down. Think about this for a moment. Most of you did not start smoking alone. Most of you did not start drinking alone. Most of you did not die drugs alone. And most of you didn't go down the path to immorality alone. It was usually with someone else, others encouraging you on. Now realize... That if you want to make positive changes in your life, you have got to get around positive people who want to go in the same direction. 
And don't you worry for a minute. If friends badger you, say, where have you been? You don't call me anymore. Just simply lovingly tell them, you know what? I care for you as a person, but you're an unhealthy person for me to be around. I want to stop my drinking. I want to stop my smoking. I want to stop whatever it is. And you're not helping me in that endeavor. And because of that, I can no longer have the kind of relationship we once had. But if you want to come with me, I'd be glad to take you. If you want to go positive in your life, I'd be glad to take you. I know a place we can go. It's called The Rock Saturday night. Access Tuesday night. Get involved in a small group on another night. And get around people who can help you go to the good place that God wants to take you. It's really not that hard, young person. I want you to know that. Next week you come back, we're going to talk about the joy of control. Some of you think people are control freaks. I'm talking about the joy of control and the power of the word no. And how to use those two things in your life. I appreciate you persevering with us tonight. And I want to invite you back next week. We'll have a great time. Listen, afterwards, down the stairs, if you go out these doors, there's information at the tables. But if you go down to your right or to your left, you'll see an exit sign that goes downstairs. Downstairs, we have lots of free food, lots of free drink, and you get to meet a lot of really wonderful people. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight that you're so faithful, you're so good to us, and God, your word really does hold the key to life. God, I pray that you'd help these young men and women get in touch with the spiritual side of life, which is by far the most important. I pray, Lord, that you'd get involved in their lives and that they would allow you to be involved in their lives and they would allow you to direct their lives. Lord, you've never disappointed me. I can honestly say in 25 years of following you, I have never genuinely been disappointed. I may have had the wrong expectation. I maybe had to readjust my expectations of life. But when it was all said and done, you've never, ever disappointed me. I want to thank you for what you're doing at The Rock, Lord. I thank you for giving us such a wonderful band and giving us people who keep going even when it gets tough. Thank you for the young men and women that have committed themselves, Lord, to make this thing happen every week. For the people who set up all the equipment, set up all the refreshments, who bring the stuff in their own vehicles and get here early every week. This is a team effort. And God, we just ask you that you would use us to help serve the lives of thousands of young single men and women in this city in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.